about to enter a world of pain, suffering, and laughter. We're smelling something. It ain't you, it ain't, it ain't, you, it ain't, me. ain't me. It's worst it's gig worst ever. Gig Hi, ever. I'm Jeff Garlock. I am Mike Pace. Forgive those sci-fi sound effects. We are just <laughs> smelling the sweet aroma <laughs> of cooking coming on from the next room next to the studio. You are listening to the podcast. Uh, oh, I'm just repeating myself. <laughs> Our guest this week is Annie Hart yep. of the band Au Revoir, Simone. Au Revoir, Simone. Au revoir, Simone. Annie comes to us with, she came with one story prepared, but she literally, it unraveled, and she told one after the next. She realized what happened. She's, you pull one thread on that sweater, and all of a sudden, and the it, whole thing unravels. It keeps knitting and knitting and knitting, to quote Pee-wee's Big Adventure, the film the band took their name from. But all kidding aside. Uh, <laughs> Let's get really serious. Annie tells some great stories. She talks about being a mom. She talks mm-hmm. about being a bookkeeper. Yep. And again, all of these worst gigs that keep just flying out the door. The band. Au revoir. Simon. <laughs> yes. They have a new record coming out on September 24th. It's called Move in Spectrums. So check it out at your latest or newest or only record shop that you know of. <laughs> Oh, you don't have one? <laughs> or you can probably <laughs> then find go it. to iTunes. Yeah, you can probably find it on iTunes. You know what else you can find on iTunes? Oh, segue. Back episodes of The Worst Gig Ever show you are currently listening to and <laughs> other back episodes. You can also find us on worstgigeverpodcast.tumblr.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Stitcher Radio. You can contact us via Twitter. Don't know why I lapsed into that James Mason voice right over We're there. We're all but glad you did. That's Lolita. for our, our, our children listeners. <laughs> Chris Kane's son. What's your uh, Twitter handle, buddy? At Mike E. Pace. Oh. What's mine? Well, it's at G. Garlock. There you go. So plenty of great stuff to look forward to. I hope you're smelling as good as we are right now. It's a, it's an amalgam of spices from around the globe. It's orgasmic. And speaking of which, here's Annie Hart on Worst Gig Ever. Au revoir. Simon. <laughs> Okay, so I've been thinking about a lot what has been Ovoisimone's worst gig ever. And um, I asked around, and I think the consensus is we played in this space called Office Ops, which was in East Williamsburg back before Sure, East I Williamsburg. remember that. that was like you remember that place? 2003, 2004? It? Yeah, it was about 2004. Office Ops was in like... It was like East, off of Morgan. Yeah, it was like Bushwick okay. area. Yeah, but was it a Todd P place? Or this not? was like... I don't even know if Todd P was living in New right. York at this time. This is a very old space. It was a, it was a co-working space, kind of like a proto-third ward. Mm-hmm. And um, you, there was a dark room in there. I used to take $2 yoga there. Yeah. And... Um, there were, you know, shared desk space and they had a big room and 
I think once a month they would have this event called Rock and Roller Skate. Mm-hmm. And the premise of Rock and Roller Skate was that uh, you would pay five bucks at the door, get to see a band, and you would get to roller skate around the band who were inside of a cage. Oh. In the middle of the In room. the middle of the rink. Yeah. Which was basically just a loft raw space, space. Like a raw space. Right. So it wasn't like you couldn't do any fancy skating. You would trip on the boards. But... Uh, the one thing that they neglected to really provide in that cage was like a powerful source of electricity. <laughs> and I don't know if you know my band, but we all played keyboards and we had a bunch of drum machines. And at that you time, you need electricity for that. You, I mean, we should have had batteries, but um, and the the worst thing is we were opening for my husband's band, mm-hmm. and they were all eager to get on, and. We just could not get our act together and we couldn't make anything work. And I was so like nonchalant about the whole thing. And I'm usually very neurotic and uh-huh. panicked about everything. And, um, wait, why were you nonchalant this night? Well, I was just like, yeah, you know, we're just in a room with our friends. Okay. We're gonna, you know, who cares? Low stakes. Yeah. Low stakes. You know, whatever. We'll just play it all on one keyboard. <laughs> and that was before I realized like, no, like nothing was working. And my bandmate Heather, who is like, um, she's always like very cool and analytic like she's always you know she's like what's the solution to this problem how can i solve this and she doesn't get like over i don't think and i had only known her yeah she is a scientist actually so (laughs) um so that's why (laughs) she and i hadn't known her that long i'd only known her like a year and a half or two years at that point Mm -hmm. i had like never really seen her get upset or anything and it wasn't until i was in this cage there's all these people skating around us, and t- the clock is just ticking. It's ticking and ticking and ticking right. as these people are just rotating around so people us. People are already. Oh, yeah. And like you could see like them slow down and stick their faces like in between the bars of the cage and be like, what's going on? What's taking so long? And you know, it's like 15 minutes late, half an hour late. And I look down, and there's Heather, Miss Level Head, like has got tears in her eyes. She's like <laughs> sobbing. And I had never seen her break down before. And she's like, I just can't get anything to turn. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. And I think we eventually, eventually played three songs all on one keyboard with the kind of like, you know, drums that come with a Casio and it sounded really bad and none of the roller skaters cared about us anymore. It was, it was kind of like, um, uh, definitely a nightmare. Right. Right. (laughs) And you're, you're, the ad, to add insult to injury, you're in a cage. We're in right. a cage. And it's helpless and right. there's no way. And you know, we're like frantically running in and out asking the, you know, the promoter to get us another extension cord, trying to send somebody out to get batteries. But you know, this is like East Williamsburg in 2004. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing. No. There is nothing yeah. out there. <laughs> you're lucky if you can find a bodega and there's like not. What well, bands usually played this? weird of you know those proto indie bands of the williamsburg i I remember hearing about this and i i don't think that oxford collapse was ever offered that but i definitely remember the office ops roller skating party and thinking that it would be really fun really to do it but it was like for some reason i envisioned at the same time that panthers played like that gas station 
Oh, liars, right, right, with the liars. Yeah, yeah. Like, it seemed like it was like of yeah. that era where people I were branching about that gas out show. into like yeah. like kind of almost like a one and done type thing. I right. think they did a few shows at Office Ops, but yeah, it never so. really caught on. Right. Well, like who could get out there? You couldn't even get out <laughs> right. there. Right. Like the L train didn't run the way it does now. Yeah. Right. And then you had to walk through this. Well, because that's also one of those situations zone. too, where you realize like you're secondary to the event. Like, well, the you know, like was- in a lot of ways, like I, I think there was that period where there were those like, it sounds like a good idea in theory. And then you mm-hmm. realize like people aren't there necessarily like for you. But I like, think the promoter didn't think people were there for us. Right. But the people were there for us. Were and they, they were there? getting okay, upset. Well, that's good. They were getting really okay. upset. When are you going to play? Like, you could like, see Banging their faces. on and the cage. Were, the thing is, <laughs> right. yeah, and they were in roller skates. They were on roller skates, so you could see the smooth motion and then just right. kind of, like, slow down and turn to you with this spiral. I'd just be like, when are you guys going on? Well, that's good. I, I just always hated the, the, the shows where it was that, where it was that... You realize when you get there that no one's there for you. You're the like, band before the dance party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're the band well, before the, the dance party. And that was always <laughs> the worst. Or it's that's like, nothing. yeah, you're on like some, you know, like it, like I remember our booking agent once we were like, we want to get some bigger shows. And one of the ones he offered was like that Kaiju big battle. Oh, my deal. friend put those on. And I didn't, I just was just like, I don't, that's not what we were talking about exactly. <laughs> Like, I mean, I'm sure it will be fine. That was always, like, my reaction to yeah. most of shows. Like, in the ones that turn into dance bars, I'm like, I'm sure it'll be well, fine. It's just not my ideal. Because no one's going there, like, can't wait to see a band. And then I guess I kind of care about the, the Kaiju, Kaiju Big, Big Battle. Battle. Well, the, I, I just remember, because we played a lot of these on our first U.S. tours, like, 04, 05. Mm-hmm. Like, and we were told, like, oh, man, there's going to be a ton of people there. It's a Friday night. Like... But they're there for the dance party, right. and then I, and then they find out there's a band playing that they didn't know about. Right. They get pissed, and they yeah, or they sit, yeah. they stand there with their arms crossed, and then you're just like, you have to power through that just to get over. And just to get when your you, twelve dollars paycheck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when you realize there's, you're in a city where there are other places that are real shows. Like you know, if you're in like right. Boston and you're like, oh, what we're doing one of these dance party things, or we could have just booked something that's a. Or bands play. Yeah. We did the Boston dance party one. Yeah. Whatever that one. The one I, I landed right, down. I think, yeah, right by the Paradise. Yeah. And it was just like, it was the very end of our first tour in 2004. And it, we played the Sun Was, it was like seven o'clock. They, the people could not have been less interested. I remember like, doing one for, remember that Super Cult website? I think it still exists. Super it was Cult, like, yes. the, like the, the like punk porn. It was the poor like, man's And I was like, yeah, course. and I was like, I don't want to do that. And then we got there and like, I remember there was like, girls go-go dancing i was like this is everything like against what i believe in <laughs> and then i recognized one of the girls from being like an orchid fan. She's like hi jeff and i was just like oh what happened to you <laughs> like oh it's depressing and then we played and no one cared like it was it was again like when are you gonna play joy division so uh, but but and it sounds like you also had your fair share especially in those early years of like knocking around brooklyn Trying to figure it out, taking mm-hmm. these shows under the pretense that they are going, we're going to be playing in front of a lot of people or like. Right. Yeah, I mean, but still at the point at the time, and I'm still thankfully in this phase of my career where I'm just incredulous that anybody besides my mom wants to see us play. <laughs> right. And so like the fact, like, especially in those days, we, you know, we didn't, I mean, we've always been very hardworking and ambitious and had a great work ethic, which I think has helped us, but I still, was just so grateful that anybody would want 
us to play a show that we would play you know pretty much anything yeah. we could you know we oh i just remembered this other worst <laughs> gig ever hit us oh my god it just <laughs> dawned on me this is what happened the yes. floodgates yes. open yes. like oh god my life it's like yeah. all the all these memories i've been repressing have yeah. just been triggered the synapses yeah. are bursting let's hear it well so it wasn't our first show well our first show i'll tell you the summary by my friend's boyfriend was well you all had nice hair hey. <laughs> yeah you guys look like you're having fun up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then our second show was at our friend's New Year's Eve party. And this was, it was actually in that building where Roebling Tea Room is. And it was on the top floor. Oh, yeah. They all, all their, we had a bunch of friends who had mm-hmm. shared this loft mm-hmm. space. And it was a really cool space. And every year they had this big party and they wanted us to play. And of course, you know, it's in an apartment. So I think there was a super low stage. We didn't really know our songs. We were like, whatever. Was this 2003 or four? This was 2003. It was probably turning 2004. Okay. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, <laughs> that must be Bring it. it that must be it. <laughs> so uh, we played our set and it was fine. And then through the, you know, it was New Year's. There was champagne involved. We started <laughs> getting a little uh, uh, wobbly. Yeah, <laughs> loose. And... um we were egged on or maybe we egged everyone else to let us um play again and we played all the same songs again the to second set. Ma- many more people because <laughs> yeah. we're like right. yeah no problem we'll do this and it seemed fine at the time of course i woke up the next morning i couldn't even move for eight hours and then <laughs> As the weeks went on, I kept talking about our band. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in this band. I don't know. We do this where there's uh, we, we all play keyboards. We all sing. We're all women. And um, t- like this happened three or four times. Some people would be like, oh, I saw a band just like that play at this loft party. And they were really awesome. And then other people would be like, oh, I just saw this band play exactly like that but they were the worst band i've ever heard in my life <laughs> and that's when you uh, don't know whether or not you're supposed to reveal that that was you right yeah yeah oh, cool yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. Cool. i'm gonna go now. yeah those drunk girls can't believe they were playing <laughs> well, I, I, that's a perfect segue i, I want to talk about the uh, the no drums thing because right. mm-hmm. oxford collapse played a party in the early years i want to say oh three Maybe 04. It was a loft party. It was a lot of fun. And it involved, um, they made a ton of pot brownies at this party. And our drummer, our drummer <laughs> indulged, uh, before we played. And we're, wait, was this the guy I worked in the bookstore with? No, that was the bass player. Okay. Sorry. His indulgences are, uh, are, are legendary as well, but he actually was not in the band at this point. This was, okay. our, this was our first, uh, a bass player. Um, sorry to interrupt. So you. we, so we started playing and our drummer forgot how to play one of the songs. Like just <laughs> forgot. Like he's just like, I can't do it. Right. I can't do it. And I was furious. Like I was furious. And, uh, you know, cause you didn't go like, like no, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't even process it. I could, didn't know how to save it. I was just furious. I mean, whatever. We, we, so there's that, you know, level of clearly the drummer is not infallible, you know, like he sure. got right. carried away and then, you know, clearly the guitar player is not infallible well, either. You get pissed off. Stop. Like relax, my face. Yeah, no, I was a little <laughs> high strung, but so, okay. So when you have, the no drums thing works on so many, and that 
No drummer. Oh, no drummer. I'm sorry. Yes. Right. Right. No drummer. In that you have like the drum beat's always going to be there. Well, right? Well, I have some stories about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but keep sure, well, and the other thing that I wanted to ask about logistically touring without a drummer and without a set of a drum kit right. has got to be amazing. Minivan. Well, we That's did a minivan a, too. I, but I was, it was watching to the some video before we came in, like because I'm not sure if I had seen you guys live or not. But I was, yeah, that was my first thought. Uh, I mean, my second thought was was wonderful music. My first thought <laughs> was, oh my god, fucking three keyboards, drum machine. Throw that shit in the back of a hatchback. <laughs> Buick LeSabre. Yeah. The only like, problem is we have a lot more than one keyboard each. Oh. I play three keyboards. Oh. So, yeah. but. But even still, a keyboard case, you can, much like a guitar like, case, versus a drum set. Right. That is, versus you know, like, my last band was two bass players. So you've got two full fridges, a drum kit, like, you know, it starts to become not a nightmare. You carry two a yeah. You were It was just kidding. dumb after a while. And like an SVT, like, had, like, Oh, just God, like, even yeah. one of those. But that's the thing. Like, and that, that's why, like, I, if I see, like, video of, like, you know, you guys, Big black, even Godflesh. Like I'm just like, ooh, yeah, what a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> so how did that? How did the 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 no drummer aspect work both to the the benefit and the detriment? Huh? How like? Or I guess you said you had some stories about. Well, yeah, like, all I can think of is detriment, but I mean, benefit <laughs> is you know, you you know your tempos. Right. right. And we have a lot of songs where, you know, one of us will start with the keyboard and then the drums come in. So that's cool. You don't Uh have to like worry about the song being too slow. But it is funny because I had been playing in bands with drummers before this band. And the psychological thought is when the crowd's really excited and it's packed and everybody's singing along that you think the song is slower than it should be right you naturally your speed up your yeah. adrenaline wants and you can't to. do you can't go to the drum machine and give like the thumbs up like hey let's pick this <laughs> no, up drum yeah, machine. it's all wave files like if it was midi we could you right. know, tweak it a little but because it's waves oh, you yeah. can't tweak the tempo right. so that that can be a little frustrating but it's not a big deal and now of course that i've been doing that for 10 years you you You're get in locked into the <laughs> yeah. bpm of the song um but there's been i hate to say Far too many situations where we've lost the drum machine mm-hmm. or the like drum machine's broken. Out. No, oh. like the actual physical, like it's one time. Physically lost. There was oh. one year where British Airways was losing everybody's luggage. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like I had some friends who went, I think, to South Africa and they didn't see their bags for months. I kind of remember on the UK tour around that, probably that. So, like, I just remember this is probably hearing, like 2007, like, oh, yeah. 2000. Yeah, like, maybe it even might later. Have been, 2009. Like, or, yeah, it was just, I remember like being that was a huge fear. Yeah. Like, it was just like, oh, it was every, a big every band's losing. They stuff. lost, they were losing literally like 100,000 pieces of luggage a day. Yeah, right. And unfortunately, one of those things was our drum machine. And we showed up, we were supposed to play this really important festival in Scotland. And, you know, Whatever, no drums. So we ended up the drummer of Teenage Fan Club just volunteered to play drums for us. And that was really. I know your catalog. I love it. (laughs) He said in the worst Scottish accent of all time. Well, yeah, what a bad accent this native of Scotland has. Um, Which was cool. But then he's like playing it slower than it should. And you don't want to like, like, hey, thanks for the favor, but let's go, (laughs) brother. Oh, and, we, and then what's funny is actually on the, the next night we played this other really 
really important festival, the Latitudes Festival. And we were on the mm -hmm. main stage and it was like definitely one of our bigger gigs and mm -hmm. no drum machine, but the drummer from Camera Obscura played with us and wow. that was really nice. My wife such would a have been amazed. Amazed. <laughs> He's <laughs> really Cameron nice. Obscura. Oh, yeah. Um, what so, do you, just for good. my, I mean, maybe for other people, like, is it, what type of drum machine is it like one that like if it gets lost is it or like easier to get or well using like a vintage lin that like it's an spds it's just okay. a sampler right right that has pads that you hit with a drum okay. stick. but we didn't at the time we just took it for granted that it was going to show up so we didn't have a backup sure. files in the laptop you know, this is something you can buy at yeah. Guitar Center. It's right. not hard, but we weren't prepared for it. And then this is actually happening to have us Apple more. Time machine on I it. keep thinking. They keep coming. Yeah. <laughs> they keep coming. We also played this other tour. We were opening up for the Stills in Belgium, oh, mm -hmm. and the drum machine just stopped working. We like got the drum machine finally. Oh wait, I never finished this story that the Heather, who's the drummer, the drummer in the band, she's the drum machine captain. She was determined to find this drum machine. And the three of us, Erica <laughs> and Heather and I, we would get really intense about trying to track the drum this machine. This before the Teenage Fan Club guy stepped in. No, he stepped in. We tried to find it. it. My keyboard was actually already also lost. So this is lost. on the tour. You're it. looking for it. Yeah, we're idiot. looking for the... It's kind of like the Pee-wee's Big Adventure of touring, right. trying to find this drum machine. To tie it back into your name, I <laughs> guess. <laughs> exactly. It all comes full circle. Full circle. Yeah. But we... We, Heather, we would call British Airways all the time and try to figure out where it is with the, you know, the tag number and mm -hmm. everything. And finally, after being on hold for three hours, we were told that it was in Heathrow en route to Charles de Gaulle. Right. So we ended up playing Paris. We made our tour manager drive us to Charles de Gaulle and we were at the British Airways counter being like, we know this drum machine is somewhere in this airport. We're finding this right. drum machine. And as I'm sure you can imagine, they they didn't let us find the drum machine. Well, because that's the hard part of it, too. It's like, you know, if whatever, British Airways is losing a lot of luggage. But if you're just going to London and you're there for a week, they can find it and give it to you. But right. like, yeah, like I remember the UK tour, like we uh, like first Panthers UK tour. I think we lost either a guitar or two guitars. Um, but it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, but we're actually getting like picked up. Like, or it's like a European tour, like an Orchid one. Like, we're leaving London. We flew in here yeah. or wherever it was. Like, it was just like, we're out of here. Like, I don't know how we're going to, even if you find it. We right. Can't As come back. someone who has lost luggage, I, I've been, I traveled the month of June like mm -hmm. three times. I went to Austin. I went to Alaska and my wife went to California and back. And on each trip, a piece of luggage was lost. Uh, really? Eventually. They, Did you have layovers? The the one the 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 Austin one like it just didn't make the flight and it came the next day. Oh. And then in in uh, Alaska it was we were taking the railroad from Anchorage to Fairbanks and the piece of luggage or went back to Anchorage or whatever I don't know. So the and eventually we got it. But the point being is that regardless of whether it's clothes or gear, if you get a piece of luggage lost, like it ruins your yeah. trip. Until yeah. you let it not ruin your That's trip. That's why I'm a big uh, non-checker. Like, mm -hmm. I, I would go out of my way to carry You're like carry the Seinfeld it. episode That's where the guy we, just doesn't... We check. had both. We we went to the UK and we both 
brought our suitcases on the plane because like and we were amazed we had to bring two usually we find a way to shove this everything is a vacation one. not a yeah, vacation not a port, of course um but yeah i never <laughs> i try to never check because of that i have such a fear but I, and I had never lost fear a piece of, of luggage fear of the check before uh uh and even tour because i would always check my guitar when we would go to europe or the uk and thankfully i think we lost uh a um snare drum uh-huh. or it's never lost we've never lost anything without it being found again right but it's just such a, it's such not yeah. on uh wicker not on wicker. for the listener the and just knocked on the uh, wicker chair here we have <laughs> um so wait what happens if you does it ever have you ever had where like it loses all the files too? oh yeah that's the other thing there's a story when we open up for the still so this mm-hmm. was like another huge stage i think we we're somewhere in belgium are the still still a band actually this was, I don't, I don't know. This so. was like before Once came out. Well, they, they, I remember opening they were a band for North a long time. Sixth in like 2003. Wow. Yeah. They Wait, must be We opened yeah. for the Stills. I guess we, I mean, they we the nicest people. We were they were so sweet. They're Canadian, mates. right? No. No, okay. they're French or something? No, I thought <laughs> they were, I thought they were, uh, were they Irish or Scottish? Yeah, they're some. They're, they're somewhere from... This episode's going out to the stills. Stills, we love you. <laughs> um, but <laughs> we, what did we do? Oh, we ended up, like we couldn't figure out the drum machine or maybe we were getting the sounds back on it. We bought a new drum machine and it wasn't working. It wasn't taking the power properly. And somehow we got hooked up with someone who lived in Brussels mm-hmm. who invented the SPDS. So we got tech support from the, from the inventor wow. on stage while we're sound checking, trying to make this. Wait, thing how work. did you make that happen? How did you find this guy? It was like he was a friend of the promoter. Oh. And it was all, we were all in Belgium. So somehow this magically worked. Because, yeah, exactly. We were, tr- you know, calling Roland is like, Sure. Yeah, Mr. Roland's not going to get on the phone. (laughs) Yeah, what do you want? Roland (laughs) here. So anyway, that was, that was really good. So there's been miraculous saves. Like, I don't know if anybody else in the world could have helped us with our problem. Do you, are you, are, are, uh, all three of you, do you feel comfortable tech wise? Like, cause that's another thing. Like, I think about like, like when I watch like my friend's band zombie play, Mm -hmm. like I think, oh man, I love you guys so much. It stresses me out. Just looking at the amount the of cables lineup? and six. Just it's it's synth it's, and drums. Just synth and drums. So, but he's got you know, uh, Steve, he's got oh yeah, yeah, six vintage sequential circuits like, and like, but every single one I'm just like, ugh, I just it's a nightmare of cables and like I I just know like even with my amp like if it breaks I just kind of look at it and I'm just like, there it is. Yeah. I don't know like I can't do anything with this. Um, you don't know how to change tubes. Yeah, I certainly don't know how to change tubes. Oh, I've never actually changed a tube before. Especially in an SVT, like, oh, head. They're just like, there. oh, you might die. Like, yeah. that's like, there's like... There's a big like, warning yeah. on the back. Like, like, I mean, don't I would, touch these. I would assume over the course of 10 years that, that at this point, there's a <laughs> grasp. Well, I mean, I am a person who's relatively comfortable with a soldering iron. Mm-hmm. And I've, you know, my dad uh, taught me how to use that. He's, you know, kind of an electrician and a repair person by trade so he we would and i was homeschooled so we would just right. spend afternoons soldering crap and figuring out circuits mr roland um, <laughs> uh, no, it's oh, it's weird that you didn't mention that but okay <laughs> could so, just call my dad for help <laughs> um so you, you know i consider myself a relatively 
confident person, you right. know, and I've built, you know, sequencers out of transistors and stuff. But see, I would love, I honestly, you're, you're, I would love to be, to live in that world. It's like, cool. It's really cool. You have to, it's very time consuming. Yeah. And, but I recently had my very favorite keyboard break and I had two broken ones and I was, how am I going to put these together and make one that works? And I opened it up so carefully and I could see what the problem was. And I looked online. I was like, okay, you can see that it blew there. So I'll replace this chip with that chip. It's just broken. Yeah. There's just, there's kind of a steep learning curve. Well, you know, when my membrane pad was broken on my uh, sequential circuits, profit. Like, mm-hmm. I was just, I bought the weird Japanese, like, fake version of it. And then I got in. I was like, oh, great. I'll fix this myself. And immediately, I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I didn't even <laughs> yeah. try. Like, I was like, I'm not even going to think about I fixing this. I just immediately brought it to Maydrag, who was like, whatever. I yeah, don't know. the best. Oh, no. I had, a, I had a pedal board that there was a while where, like, I was having, like, it would cut out mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And I had, like, six pedals on there and, like... It got, I got really paranoid because every once in a while it would happen at a show and like, which cable is it? Like, right. and I, and you, you panic and blah, blah, blah. Um, but mm. the, the thing that you said earlier that kind of really scared me was the wave file thing. Right. And yeah. I, and it scares me because do you remember a couple of years ago when Van Halen got back together for their first reunion tour? <laughs> this was like 2007, a video circulated on YouTube of one of the shows where when they would play jump, the, the synthesizers were pre-recorded, so right. Eddie could play guitar. And for whatever reason, like, it was a wave file of the jump synth, but it was played back at, like, the wrong, I want to say, frequency. Like, right. it was 48 instead of 44. So it was just slightly out of tune, but you wouldn't necessarily know it from just hearing, like, doo doo Right. Doo. But when Eddie came in with the guitar, it was, like, <laughs> just, just off. So it was just a total train wreck, and he's trying to save it by, like, squealing and, like... Ugh. I'll we'll include a link to that for the listener. Wow. It was, yeah, but it was said that like to me. you know, it's like, oh my, here's Van Halen, and, and right. like they're fucking up their signature. You would song. think that a band as big as Van Halen would have like the extra two hundred fifty dollars a night to hire a keyboard <laughs> to player, have, right? They have Wolf <laughs> yeah, seriously, have Wolfgang <laughs> yeah. get on the keys. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. When I'm picturing wave, I, there's, I'm sure I might have talked about. There's this death metal band Nile, who are an Egyptian death metal band. <laughs> But I, the first time I saw them. Well, wait. To be clear, they're an Amer- aren't they? They're, an, they're from North Carolina. But they're they have their but songs they're Egyptian theme. So like okay, in between okay. songs, it'll be like Egyptian chants, and it sounds like the soundtrack to the Mummy. But yeah. when I first saw them, it was like at a time when to do those samples, it wasn't like they were using awesome seventies analog equipment. They were using like nineties, like <laughs> like giant computers. They literally had so, a Mac. <laughs> They had not even a MacBook. They had a tower, like essentially like the compact Adele I had that in college. And he had this humongous monitor. And you could see him like tuning his guitar. He's like tuned to like B. And then going over and sitting there with his mouse trying to find the wave files that he needs to play. And then a file like eight years later, I saw him and I was like, oh, great. You've got the MacBook now. It's a little simpler. But I was just like thinking like, why would you do that to yourself? Like. This crazy setup of having to bring like a college computer. I thought of another terrible thing. Oh, give us, give us, please. Speaking of wave files, it was our first tour in London, mm-hmm. and uh, we we were playing off of an iPod, and so mm-hmm. we would have the drum track go just go from the start to the end of the song, and uh, 
I don't know what I was on, but I could not figure out <laughs> how many patterns I was supposed to hear before I came in. And it wasn't like we were sophisticated enough where we were like, put a fill in to, sure, as a signal. Yeah. It was just, you know, count to four. And then, <laughs> so I was playing the song. I would get to the part of the song where the change was and realize the drums weren't in the right spot. And I'd be, I said, hey, can we just start that over? And yeah. the girls were like, yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> so we started it over. And I did it. I was like, okay, this is good. This is good. A minute into the song, it was completely just bonkers wrong. <laughs> and I said, you know, can we just start it one more time? Wait, so the sound person was doing the... No, oh. we were starting it, but okay. I could not remember how many repetitions right. of how many measures I was supposed to listen for before I sure. came in. So we pl started playing it again, totally messed up, like beyond. So this <laughs> Three times now. Yeah, and, and I, 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 I announced before the third time, I said, sorry guys, but third time's a charm, right? <laughs> and the audience said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and was it just, you had to drop it? It was just drama. I was yeah. like, "All right, let's just move on." It was it was pretty head hanging. Sure. Well, because even in your bed, so you got the good graces of everyone else. who are just like, "Don't worry about it." And then we get that second one. It's like, maybe worry about it a little bit. And that then third the, was like, "Come on now." Yeah. And then there's that guy in the front row who's just blunt. Sure. <laughs> Which makes I'm me think of another, I can remember another terrible game. Yes. What's so funny is I could only remember the rock and roller skate when I was trying to think of this game. <laughs> they unravel. Once they unravel. This really one bad. is so bad. This one I think could be the worst game. Okay. <laughs> ever. This was pretty early in our career. We were still a four piece then. So we were like really long across stage and our friends we were friends with, do you know Jeffrey Lewis? I know the Jeff name. Jeff Lewis, he's really sweet. And he, we got offered this show to open up for Thurston Moore at Bard. Mm -hmm. And it was a really big deal. Like one of our members canceled going to Coachella with her boyfriend for this show. And it was, you know, we're like, we're opening for Thurston Moore. This is such a big deal. Right. So we get to Bard and Jeff Lewis is, was our friend. And he said, you know what? I actually have to go back to New York with my brother to play another show. Would you mind taking the slot next to Thurston for me. And we said, well, sure, no problem. That's so nice of you. Have a great trip. I'm sorry you won't be there for the show. And, you know, Jeff played first, and it was really great. And when we're about to play, this other band, which I will re have remained nameless, mm -hmm. who's like kind of this upstate curmudgeonly band. Fish. Um, it's okay, you can say it. <laughs> Right. Well, John Fishman's such an asshole. Definitely bigger than Ovois Simone circa 2004. Okay. Um, <laughs> wanted to play the slot that we that Jeff had assigned to us, and the promoter said we should play. You know, the students, mm -hmm. and uh, they kept saying, you know, maybe you guys should just go on after Thurston. And we said, mm -mm, Oof, yeah. I don't oh, think never, so. Never yeah. a good idea. Yeah, we got pretty uppity. Yeah, not pretty uppity, but we stood our ground. We said no. You know the score. Yeah, the promoter said that was good. Jeff said that was good. Everybody, we told all right. our family yeah. and friends to come at that time. We're sticking to it. So they were not happy. <laughs> they were really, really, really upset that they had to play after Thurston. And um, while we were on stage, and as I mentioned, we were four of us all playing keyboard. So it was really long. Mm -hmm. And I was all the way stage right. And Heather, who the drum 
operator was all the way staged left. So I couldn't really see, but what I saw was this guy coming up to talk to Heather and he was like on the stage, this dude from the other band was just talking to her and then she would be like, you know, motion to him to get away. So this guy's talking to her. So this guy's talking to Heather and she's motioning him kind of with this like bad dog kind of motion, like go to get out of here kind of a <laughs> vibe. And I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. And he kept coming back and kept like, you know, putting his hand to her, her ear and talking and she kept shoving off. And then Erica got involved and eventually like kind of pushed this guy Why off the stage. stage. Why? We're playing our set. <laughs> and I find out after our show, he's telling her, nobody wants to see your band. Get off the stage. Whoa. Nobody likes this music. You guys better get off the stage right now. Whoa. Whoa. We're playing a show. I have ne- I That's a first. Yeah. To the, to, with, that's that's more than a heckle. I mean, the you suck or whatever. Sure. Someone giving you the finger. Third time's like, not but a show. this right. is a member of the band who who are going to be playing later on, <laughs> pulling the members of your band aside mid set to tell them that nobody likes your band. Yeah, that's a first. Yeah, that's really weird. That's really weird. Was he trashed or just an asshole nonstop? I was so young, I couldn't. Right. I don't know. Right. You know, all that is so new. We haven't right. even played that many shows. We probably, that was probably our 10th show. Right. That's, and the fr- and you had friends and family come up to Bard. Yeah. yeah. That's, but hey, did it clear out after Thurston for that last band? Pretty much. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Payback is a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that is, uh, that's. That's pretty rough. Um, so you mentioned earlier that Heather is a scientist. Mm-hmm. And I know that you also do some accounting work. I do. A bookkeeping. Bookkeeping. So I don't talk, have a degree. So, so <laughs> you guys are, you, you've been able to sort of balance uh, playing music and also kind of uh, working mm-hmm. to a certain extent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of. Well, we took like, um, so Heather started taking this physics class at the Museum of Natural History, I would say this was 2006 when we were working on the, our second album, The Bird of Music. And then the the instructor was Neil deGrasse Tyson. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know that is, oh, but he's, yeah. he's talking head. He's yeah. on every kind of science thing. And he saw that she was really smart and really curious and invited her to intern at Museum of Natural History. So she got this prestigious internship, which led into going to Columbia. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, this must have been 2011, that she finally went to school full-time. She had been taking, you know, a few classes here and there from 2006 to 2011. So she finally graduated, I think, I think she graduated in May of 2012. Mm-hmm. Congratulations so it took, to Heather. Uh, hats off to Heather. Heather. There we go, hats off. So that was, you know, can you imagine how... I think I can only imagine how hard it is to compete with AP physics students when you're kind of learning piecemeal and then going on tour in between and taking right. six months off and trying to keep it fresh. Yeah, She's brilliant, though, so she can do it. But And as far as my accounting, it's kind of started out as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I was doing it at my old job. I used to work at a nonprofit called Transportation Alternatives, and I was doing the bookkeeping there. 
and I did not like it. It was totally unfulfilling. But when the band was first getting started and I had quit my full-time job, it's something that isn't very difficult but pays relatively sure. well right. for the amount of effort. And you can do it part-time and everybody needs a bookkeeper. So right. I kind of started doing that. And then my clients started getting bigger and bigger companies. So now I'm kind of... uh doing my best to get everything done. And I do all the bookkeeping for the band. That's nice. So you're the treasurer. Someone, I'm definitely someone's someone's gotta someone's be the gotta treasurer. Be the treasurer. It was our drummer. He was uh, a great, his father was an accountant. Oh. So oh. It was in the jeans. It was me. I don't uh, know why I did that. <laughs> but so it's, it's, it seems like actually kind of, so you can, uh, totally put that on hold and devote time to playing. The band. Right. And it's also the kind of thing that you can do like an hour a week, two hours right. a week, you know. After Did you this. find it hard, uh, and I ask from, like, experience, uh, did you, f- did you have moments where it would stress you out, like, that you're, you're both happy that your friend and your bandmate is, like, doing well and, like, right. following her path, but also you got, like, in the back of your head, like, but what about the band? Oh, like, yeah. Cause I, I just know, like, our drummer was in grad school when we were, like, really doing Panthers, like, full time as well, but he was, like, in new school for grad school and, like, and now, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, I get why he was freaking out right. at times of just like, I'm doing all this and I'm, I don't know what, like, wasting my time in this band sometimes. And I was like, I don't got nothing going on. I'm in a temp job. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. I don't know. I'm just kind of waiting for the next show. Yeah. Um, it was frustrating. I think we had to not open up for Yola Tango because Heather was in finals that mm, week. And mm. I was like, pretty much my dream tour. Yeah. Right. You know, seeing them play every night. Every night they play different sets. Right. And they're so good. And they yeah. have, like, best keyboard sounds. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So, um, were you able, so, but you were able to get, like, I mean, obviously, like, get over that. Right. Well, and I should also say that's not all in her. Like, we got, uh, we got offered to play all tomorrow's parties when Bell and Sebastian mm-hmm. were curating. And we couldn't go because it was on my due date when I was pregnant. So I am also culpable for missing. It really blew that one. (laughs) That's actually a perfect segue into uh, playing in a band and doing all the kinds of stuff that you're doing and also being a mom. Yeah. I think you're the first mom we've had on the podcast. Wow. With the exception of the Bresnitz twins' mother who was here for the (laughs) taping of the podcast. But... Uh, unbeknownst to us you're the first guest yeah and and your husband also does music right so what's uh how does that how does that work well um we kind of managed to split our time with the baby half and half and the thing about being a musician he's actually a tour manager okay Mm -hmm. so he can uh you know, kind of choose when he's on the road. And so usually it doesn't coincide with anything we've done, but we're actually haven't started ramping up touring since Henry was born until this fall. We're going to be touring in September for our new record. Mm-hmm. So we haven't really come across that issue, but I was actually inspired by our friend Chris Kane. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because when we... Chris Kane of We Are Scientists. Of We Are Scientists. Who has a uh, 16-year-old child at this point, I think. Oh, come on. <laughs> I think he's six or five or six. Yeah. Isn't he older than that? I thought he was like seven or eight. I think he's 10 or 11. 
He's somewhere between five and six. I think he's, he's doing in great grade. in grad school. Uh, <laughs> he's he's actually a scientist. Yes, <laughs> we're scientists. Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's Neil deGrasse Tyson. You didn't know Chris Kane is Neil. Yes. Got it. Whoa. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> oh, he's so made it work. He's he's made it work, and he dad. inspired us because we toured with them twice. Mm-hmm. And as I said, did we actually. Oh yeah, More they love to break times. bands. They're the nicest they guys yeah. ever. And um, I, I asked him, well, "Isn't it hard being away from your kids so long?" And he said, "Well, the thing is, because I do music, when I'm home, I'm home 24 hours a day for the kid." And I think that's that was really inspiring to me because it's kind of sad when you miss your kid all the time, but are you going to miss your kid because you're working or commuting for 10 hours a day and you only see your child two hours a day or three hours a day versus, you know, okay, I don't get to see him for three weeks, but Mm -hmm. it's we're joined at the hip Mm -hmm. for the whole rest of the time. So my husband and I are able to kind of, you know, balance that and trade off with each other. And and it's really, I'm a very ardent feminist, so I'm really happy to kind of have this share co-parenting arrangement rather mm-hmm. than him being the breadwinner or me being the breadwinner and one of us is home with the kid. Right. Yeah. Hey, look, Rod Stewart had eight kids. He and did? Look how the, old, the oldest one is 50, the youngest one is like two. <laughs> that has no bearing on this. I just wanted to throw it out there, but if he can do it, fun fact. you know... You're uh, you're exaggerating. I swear to God, Rod Stewart, who is what, 69 or something, Uh 70, has eight children, the oldest of which is 50, the oldest of whom, and the youngest, he just had a kid, he just had a kid. And hey, look, Steven Tyler had a great kid that he adopted so that he could have sex with her. When she was 14. What? Whoa. I still don't understand the logic wait, wait, behind that. This is that this video. Is, wait, what? Wait a, se- wait a second. Let, let's back up here a second. Steve, Steven Tyler, I know this is your episode here, but this is late breaking news. Steven Tyler adopted who? He Mia? like, it was like, Liv? Story, uh, no, not Liv. Like, it's not one of his, like, okay. he like somehow like became the legal guardian of. <laughs> a girl because he was in love with her. Like, she was like 15. I need to double Sounds check like, on this story. Yeah. This could be a slander. <laughs> <laughs> Woody Allen kind of a thing. Right, but it was oh, one of those... Jasmine opening like, this the, mo- the mom was like, yeah, sure. Like, go for it. And, but so that he could have a relationship with her. And how- I was just like, wait, I don't understand how that makes it better. Is that Bebe Buell? Uh, the, the, that was Liv Tyler's yeah. wife, playmate, baby. Uh, maybe? Anyway, so I think that I'm gonna look this up and if we'll, there, we need to do an issue an apology to Steven Tyler. <laughs> well, no, because I'm still upset. And when I was a teenager, I found it very upsetting that Liv Tyler was in that video at like, crazy, yes. crazy taking off her shirt in yep. the photo booth. It's like, how are you gonna pimp out your teenage daughter right. like that? Is very, it was I think he didn't come offensive. into her life until late though. So, you know, he's, he's, he's not as You're connected. still pimping out your daughter. So Steven Tyler, you know, the toxic twins live in different <laughs> rules than the rest of us. I just, I bet if Steven was here, he'd defend himself and then go into a scat. Yes. He'd say, but it was all cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the moral of the story is I agree completely with you. Even Thank at the you. time as a kid, I was like, this doesn't seem right. Nasty. The moral of the story is pick up Honkin' on Bobo. <laughs> the Aerosmith Blues record that came out in 2004. We'll be offering a free link Speaking. to Honkin' on Bobo uh, to all of our listeners. Free wave from fi- Audacity. Free wave file. Free wave file of Honkin' on Bobo. You guys can then put in your drum machine. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of records, We lost though. all the drum files, but we got Honkin' on Bobo. I think we're going to be fine. For the listener, Honkin' on Bobo was the record of... <laughs> blues classics that Aerosmith covered. It was their covers. And record. what did it come with? 
and the CD spine. What a harmonica! A little mini harmonica, <laughs> so you can honk on that bobo. <laughs> this is all true. But speaking oh of records, gosh. so Annie, tell us about. So you guys have not put out a record for a few years. I mean, yeah, you so guys. Two thousand and nine. Oh, that's a while. By my calculations, that's just about four years. We're per- <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yes, you're right. Uh, We're perfectionists. So, but it was, so what was so you have this new record coming out in September? And was this something? It was just like recorded over the span of like a year, four years, or sixteen years in the case of Chris Kane's son. <laughs> you know, something, something legal at this point. I only judge time. Something how that old can, Chris Kane's record, son. This record now. can smoke legally now by uh, Chris Kane's son standards. Well, so we we are. Um, you know, we're basically communal songwriters. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, if somebody has an idea, she brings it in and then we work on it. Or, you know, we just write collaboratively on the spot through improvising. But uh, none of those things really mesh well with touring. So we don't really write on the road. Uh, yeah. You know, and I Never mean, there's one thing that. like the voice memo or... Sure. Yeah, you know, actually, I haven't really had an iPhone on tour, but whatever. The voice. Last time we toured was pre-smartphone. I'm a very late <laughs> adapter to sure. smartphones. But that I will say that voice memo is fantastic. Oh, on my way here today, I was jamming out to my voice yeah. memo. Dancing Inspired. Up the I definitely wrote a hit song got a today. a lot of bad riffs in That's that right. phone right now, but it's great. <laughs> it, I find them all gems. Well, the sound is surprisingly good. But it's also you going, damn it, meh, meh, yes, or whatever. I'm honking on Bobo on my phone. <laughs> or apparently you're singing the riff to Money for Nothing by Dire Straits, <laughs> which I just did. The heavy version, That's tuned down to B. Knopfler, did you come in the studio? Get out yeah. of here. Martin Knopfler, by the way, is a Brit. Totally yeah. seems like the most American guy ever. A lot of Dire Straits records yeah. when I was in the U.S. I, I, those are records that in terms of I, – I would go back. I've gone back. I have Making Movies, which mm-hmm. is from 1978. And they're good. Like it's really good, really clean sure. guitar stuff probably worth – there's a prog element to it. There's like a prog. I know. Definitely. I was actually thinking that I was like – because like you've always – for years it's been like a dude's an amazing guitarist. Yeah. Like unique, yeah. And then I'll hear it and I'll be like, I don't really want to listen to Dire Straits right yeah. now. But I feel like there's a, a, a period of Dire Straits is probably worth delving into. Gold. Yeah. For the prog fan. For exactly. the, like the early record. Amateur prog yeah. fan. Right. So speaking of amateur prog, the new record. <laughs> right. Yeah. The new record's called Amateur Prog. It's something that you guys are. Amateur Prog is a good <laughs> No pun intended. You can have recording that. at your own, <laughs> your own pace. Too oh. many jokes. Go, too many jokes around. You can have bits, it. It was bits. definitely the better of, of all. Of at my yeah. own pace. But so you're, so this record's coming out in September. There's a tour. What a terrible solo record you put oh, out. That's, no, that's what it's going to be called. The ill-fated, soon to be, sure to be disastrous solo record. I can picture the cover, and it's <laughs> beautiful to me. It's you For just, the listener, Annie's just... doubled over. I, I mean, it was solid. I don't know if it was a doubling over. In your... I had the visual yeah. of the album. You can picture it. It looks like a Nelson record, kind of. You're like looking at a clock and kind of giving like a nope. Like... All right. I guess that's a it's cover an issue tone, maybe. There we go. Bell on wave five. So, but 2009 is your last track. But I, I, what I, what I, what, um, so you guys are going to start touring again in earnest. And there are places where you guys play that are like, 
you guys are like legit not to use Chris Kane's son as a demarcation of time, but like we are scientists are legitimately big in the UK. And you right. guys, what, you do really well like in South America? You do really I'm... well in Mexico, Portugal, and France. And wh- can you attribute that to anything? Like th- this, this, it seems like in this day and age to be big in certain countries is almost uh, an anachronistic right. thing. Yeah, it's I like cannot... a joke in singles. Yes. Citizen they, Dick they, is big they, in Turkey or yes. whatever it is. Yeah. Like, well, for France, and we're also relatively popular in Montreal, like, I feel like it's because of our name. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. Ovois Simone, you, you know, whatever. That So that is kind of understandable. Mexico thing is kind of understandable, too. Like, how many people live in Mexico City? A lot of people, at least yeah. 10 million people. And every, like... There's so many kids there and people get really passionate about music mm-hmm. and they get so into music and the record collectors and they love it. And, you know, it's like we never played there before. We show up and we're playing the National <laughs> Art Museum and there's a thousand kids and 950 of them know every single word to every single song. Right. And I can only attribute that to the po- to population radi- ratios, like I can't. The odds are in your favor. Yeah. <laughs> well, but it's weird that it's for a place that is relatively close by. American bands, at least to my knowledge, don't really tour in Mexico. Right. right. Like we never played in Mexico, right. and like so it seems like almost by crudos. virtue of like yeah, it seems by only it's like, kind of like playing Florida. Yeah, it's like to go down there. It's it's a, yeah. it's a commitment. Only yeah. played Florida once, and we've had amazing like... audiences in Florida. Every time we play really? Florida, they are yeah. really psyched. Yeah. Tons of people show up because yeah. they're happy. Bands actually show well, up. To play, like we never played Miami, but we would. We played Jacksonville, uh, um, Sarasota, like Saint Augustine, Gainesville. Because we are Saint Augustine. Our first what? booking agent was based out of Florida. Our first booking agent, who was in that band, Cream Abdul Babar. Oh yeah, uh, remember them? So we played North. Northern Florida all the time, and Northern Florida is significantly different than Southern Florida. Yeah. I mean, to play right. in Miami, it's like a day to get down. Yeah. You know, right. like that's a serious. We did a fly-in. Well, <laughs> but the, I think that just by virtue, not to take anything away uh, from the band, but like you guys are an American band, you're going to Mexico City, and people really appreciate right. that. I remember when we played but- in Spain, same but like Madrid and Barcelona were like that was a good tour, but those shows were like crazy sold out people really excited right because it's not necessarily a normal stop on Mm -hmm. the traditional yeah tour circuit yeah yeah that's true but it's crazy i've always been interested in in the analytics side of of web presence and i've always looked at our website stats and where people are living and it's always there's always been a big presence in mexico that's very Cool. It's it really cool. It's really <laughs> cool to be able to well, see that. I don't get the it. analytics I don't... of web presence yeah. may not be the sexiest title. Oh, that's a that's a good record title. Yeah, we'll put it out on Pick Up the Pace Records, <laughs> my new imprint. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, uh, so, we we hit a lot of a lot of a lot of bases here. You gave yep. us a lot of amazing stories. Yeah, yeah, you did. Um, so to bring this all full circle, it's called Moving Spectrums. It comes out September twenty fourth. To bring this all full no, okay. <laughs> the, the record, which is coming out in September, we will give it, you know. And we will. You, you're going to know. They've heard people about it. Know. Oh, they've heard about it already people, in our intro. People are going to know about this. Yes. And for that fucking guy in Bard, 
he can suck shit for all yeah. I know. That guy <laughs> in that band. That nameless <laughs> that, band. That guy. We'll get that name later. Um, question that we ask all of our guests. What do you think of the word gig? gig. <clears throat> You know, <laughs> uh huh. Perfect pause there. Yeah. Your, your comedic timing is spot on. <laughs> Gold. It's it's it's. I I I liken it to the word jam, mm-hmm. and I used to hate the word jamming, mm. and then I found out it's kind of. I think the etymology is like rooted in the word Jamaica mm-hmm. somehow, and somehow knowing that. Kind of assuaged my fears about using the word jamming until the image of like a white hip hop guy <laughs> with dreads came in. Like you're like, uh oh, that's the image of Cottonmouth Kings playing at uh, fucking I- ICP uh, thing, the jug- Juggalo fest. Uh-huh, gathering of the gathering of Juggalos. Excuse me. Okay, so, so I don't know the etymology of the word gig, right? But somehow. Being exposed to it makes it relatively benign, even though if I think about the word, it sounds <laughs> offensive. <laughs> That's, you, and you know what else is offensive? The fucking body odor between the two of us in this room. Oh my God. I got to say for the listener, we're taping this episode. It is the dead heat yeah. of summer. We turn off the air conditioning. The two of us, I noticed you smell your yeah. armpit earlier in the podcast. I um, I realized halfway through, I was like, whoa, underarm isn't working apparently is. in this sweat box anymore. So clearly, it's time to clearly we, as there is like, or I'll be like, oh, that's my smell. And then I'm like, wait, no, there's another phenomenal. smell. I smell great. Yeah, you smell phenomenal. It's wonderful. Over here, it's listener a, Annie smells phenomenal. Stink we forest. <laughs> We smell like the taiga in, in Alaska. <laughs> it's uh, intense. Um, it's a sign we got to wrap it up. Yeah. So, so Annie, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. The new record's coming out in September. You guys are going to be hitting the road. Um, but, you know, and you have your, your, you're a mother. You got some books to balance at some point, I'm sure. From Jeff and I, we just want you to get home safe. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Worst gig.